0: Welcome to the Master's in Psychology podcast, where psychology students can learn from psychologists, educators, and practitioners to better understand what they do, how they got there, and hear the advice they have for those interested in getting a master's degree in psychology or related field. I'm your host, Brad Schumacher, and today we have the privilege of talking with Mr. Tom Flores. After graduating from Grand Island Senior High, Tom attended Chapman University before attending Doan College, where he received a BA in Human Relations and an MA in Mental Health Counseling. Tom is a licensed independent mental health practitioner and a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. He is also a certified sex offender treatment specialist. Tom has worked in various hospitals, rehabilitation and treatment centers, and has worked with the Aftercare in Action organization to help inmates make the transition from being incarcerated to re-entering the community. We are excited to have Tom as a guest, as we know some of our audience may be interested in becoming counselors. Tom, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you, Brad, for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, to start off again, I wanna uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, meet with us today. And I, as I said, most of our listeners are going to benefit from your experience and your advice. You have a good uh, um, experience behind you and uh, we're just gonna go ahead and get right into it. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well,
1: I've been in the field uh, about since uh, 2013. Um, I've got my own uh, private practice with uh, my partner, um, and we are we're serving the uh, central Nebraska area, uh, so that's, I'm married and got seven children, and my youngest is an 11-year-old.
0: <laughs> and I noticed that you just had one that uh, just had a birthday based on your, I did some research on Facebook as well, and I think you had one, uh, I think, was it... Um, Oh, who was it? Was it uh, Cody who just Cody. had a birthday? Yeah,
1: Cody. He's our 11 year old. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, congratulations. Seven kids. My gosh. Yeah. Uh, it's, you he's busy. He's the last. He's <laughs> 62 years
1: old, so I think I think we're kind of done now.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Well, it definitely keeps you busy, and then uh, you have to keep in mind all of their birthdays. Uh, when I was scrolling through all of the Facebook posts that you had, it was interesting to see. All of the reminders of the birthdays, as well as some of the uh, um, fun stuff that some of your kids have been going through. For um, I think you called her Cece, uh is it Cecile? Uh, yeah. Debuted as a stand-up comedian uh, back in January last year. How did that go?
1: Right, Cecily. She's she's the, she's the uh, youngest, and she did really well. Uh, I was I was a little uh, apprehensive because i didn't I've never seen her as being funny, but when she got up there she uh did really well so good can to enjoy her so
0: good good so you know what I wanted to ask you was you know what initially got you interested in counseling
1: uh that's interesting question uh, uh what got me interested in counseling uh I was actually later, it, it came later in life for me about, I was about 42, uh, to kind of uh, preface it a little bit. And uh, when I was 25 years old, I was married to my first wife uh, and uh, we had gotten to a car accident and we had two children and my young, my oldest son was killed.
0: Uh, oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Yeah, and that kind of uh, ended our marriage. I mean, I'd known her since she was 14. She was the love of my life. Uh, but uh, we, tragic, tragedy either separates you or brings you close, closer. And with being as young as we were and no one really telling us how to deal with uh, the trauma, uh, we kind of we went our separate ways, uh, de- dealing with it best as we could. And, as time went by uh I dealt with it uh through addiction mm-hmm. um, and through the years and not really dealing with it uh i had by the time I became forty two I had come to the conclusion that my life needed some changes still uh not looking at being a therapist whatsoever um and I had some uh some uh, uh, experiences with the legal system, as you may have. And, and so once I had made the decision to go in a different direction with my life, I decided that uh, I wanted to uh, get a job. Uh, wasn't really sure what I was gonna do. And uh, my brother had a friend that was working as a tech at the, uh, at the treatment center here in Grand Island And so he asked me if I wanted to be a tech, and I go, sure. And basically, you'll march people around and get them to the classes and take notes and watch them at night, uh, whatever their behavior is. But what what kind of uh, made me decide to become a therapist was I seen the transitions of people coming in, struggling with their addictions as I had in the past, and and seeing transformations in their life. And I I had thought that this is something I wanted to do. I wanted to be a part of, you know, take uh, and, and perhaps, you know, contribute to what I could from my own uh, uh, experiences. And so uh, there was two therapists that I worked with that uh, they approached me and asked me if I would be interested if if I had ever thought about being a therapist, <laughs> I kind of laugh and be like, no, no, that's no, I, that wouldn't be me. <laughs> uh, Not from my background, and and the fact that was that I was in my already in my forties, and a therapist that I had worked with, Dick Stalker, he was amazing. He was seventy eight years old, and he was able to connect with. People, regardless of age from 18 to 80 he just had that ability to connect with them and I thought that was amazing and he had told me hey that's I was 40 when I started and so it made made me think it was possible so that's kind of how I became it I wanted to do something that was uh that contributed to to the community that was greater than myself you know Previously, I'd worked in the restaurant field and I'd really hadn't got, I I did it because I knew how to do it, but it was really not anything that I was, that I felt passionate about. So and once I started uh, work, uh, going to school and studying the field, uh, yeah, I got pretty passionate about it. So
0: well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because a lot of times when I talk to people, they always say something uh, either abrupt, something happened in their lives that actually got them to think about going down that career path. And it sounds like right. this was one of them, especially your your friend and colleague, uh, Dick, who, who showed you that it doesn't matter your age, you can still relate to everybody. And, and in some ways, you know, unfortunately, you had to go through that experience and that addiction but in other ways that almost gives you a little bit more credibility when you're talking to people about their own addiction. And uh, if you, you know, if you share that or if you feel free to share that with your clients, it helps them relate to you a little bit more. Don't you think?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And many people have asked me, do you have regrets uh, having to lose your child and go through all that addiction and all that, all the trauma that goes along with that. And, if you had asked me 30 years ago, I'd have said, absolutely. You know, I would, uh, you know, it's, it's been horrible. And, but today I look, it was an invaluable experience because I am able to connect with my clients. There's not too much they can come in and talk with me that I can't uh, identify with. And, and that was the purpose of coming in as a therapist to help them navigate through the the course of uh, recovery and restructuring your life uh, in, you know, in order to be more productive and happy. Uh, and oftentimes people feel like, you know, I, I can't, this is my life. This is where I'm at. And I felt the same way and realizing, no, it's not. It's about choice and what are you willing, what are you willing to do, you know, to get where you wanna go.
0: Right. No, that's exactly right. Now, on uh, one of your websites, you actually have two websites, one on psychology today, another one on psychology today. One of them is for Alfrey and Flora's counseling, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And then the other one is your personal one as well. And in Mm -hmm. both those both those cases, you have a little uh, a couple paragraphs in there talking about, hey, if you want to open up your potential and move forward just like you were saying, that's where uh, a, a good therapist and counselor can help guide you and help you uh, uh, cope with some of the stuff that you've been uh, going through, as well as uh, uh, some of your clients. Um, so I, I applaud you for applying that and, and sharing that with your clients, because again, it's another way to relate with them uh, and, and mm-hmm. add that credibility. So for those listeners and, and audience members, um, I wanted to let you know that um, Tom is out in Nebraska, and in Nebraska, the counseling licensure in Nebraska, uh, there are two levels, and Tom, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but based on my research, uh, the two levels of counseling licensure out there are, the first one is provisional licensed mental health practitioner, and the second one is the licensed mental health practitioner. Both may work with clients, but the second one, the licensed mental health practitioner, is a full licensure level and also has the expanded ability to diagnose and treat severe mental illnesses. Is that kind of a good summary of, of what's happening a, in Nebraska?
1: Correct, but there is a third license okay. as an independent mental health practitioner. And the difference between a uh, licensed mental health practitioner and the independent is that a licensed mental health practitioner has to work underneath either an independent mental health practitioner or a psychologist or the independent doesn't, doesn't need to work underneath the psychologist. But, and provisional is usually the area where you're, you're, gain, you're out of college, you're gaining your experience. Uh, you do that for about three years, mm-hmm. uh, 3,000 uh, 3, uh, hours. Uh, and it is, that really truly is where your education begins. I mean, it's invaluable. I've, when I was going to school, my professor asked all of us whether uh, are you ready to be a therapist? Do you think you'll be a good therapist? And they ever, I'm older. I was an older student. And most of them, oh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah, I I know what I need to do. I know how to do this. And when he come to me, I'm, again, being older, I, I guess I had a different respect. I thought, no, I don't. I'm not. I don't know anything, you know. And he just he just, he was pretty impressed with that answer. He says, he says, will you ever know enough? No, I will never know enough. Right. Right. Lifelong learning, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think you could apply that Tom to almost any, uh, um, Anything in life, whether it's uh, you know a career or just life, um, as you get older, you have more experiences, and you can share that knowledge with other people. But you're always learning. There's so many different things out there that absolutely you can learn so. And you I learn
1: from my clients. I absolutely learn from my clients as well. So it's it's a it's, it's a collaborative uh,
0: effort for both, on both parties. Yeah, and hopefully you share that with your clients and tell them, hey, this isn't an only a one way street, I learn from you. And that almost puts them in in the uh, situation and they realize, hey, this is a give and take and uh, it's not only one way. So I think they feel more respected when you acknowledge, hey, I'm learning from you as well. Absolutely. So that leads me to my next question. We were talking about education and and, uh, your professor asking you, will you ever be ready or when will you know you'll be ready? Uh, Mm -hmm. My next question is talking about uh, as an undergraduate at Chapman University, what kind of work and study did you engage in? Now you mentioned, I should give a caveat here. You did mention that you really, weren't planning on going into the, uh, the counseling route or, or becoming a therapist until later. So maybe this doesn't really apply, but I'll ask it: what kind of work and study did you engage in as an undergraduate at, at Chapman well, University in Southern California?
1: Actually, uh, when I was going to Chapman out in California, I was uh, in the Marine Corps. And we actually had classes on base. Uh, and I was just doing gen eds at the time. Uh, but I did take a introduction to psychology course. Um, just because when I was in high school, I'd always found that sociology, the social sciences, sociology, history, and psychology, I always was fascinated with that, with those classes and always loved them. And so when I took that class, I, that's when I started thinking, you know, could I be a psychologist? Uh, And I took the course. I loved it. Um, And that was about the only class I took that was a psychology course at that level at, at that uh, university. Uh, And so it kind of, it kind of opened the door for the possibility, but after a while you just kind of dismiss it. Like, no, you know, I, I think I want to be a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) So so I just kind of put that aside, but you know, it's, I would, I've always been told, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs>
0: right, right. So, it certainly didn't
1: take me where I thought I was going to go. But, right. I, but that kind of began to open open uh, my mind and thinking, you know, this would be kind of a neat field to be in. Uh, because you're doing something, I felt like you were doing something more uh, than just pulling a paycheck, you know, like the Marine Corps. Uh, you're there, you're there for a greater good than yourself, you know, and that's, that's kind of what attracted me. But again, I only took the course at, uh, at uh, Chapman at that time. And then I just, I stopped going to school. Uh, we had gotten to the car, in a car accident where I lost my son. And that really took the wind out of my, out of the sails. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, I lost any drive or desire. To do anything, which is go ahead.
0: Well, yeah, and I understand that. I, I uh, went through a divorce myself, and it, uh, it it just impacts you more than you can imagine, and you lose focus. Um, so I can I can relate to that in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But on on the uh, you know the upside, um, the end result is it, it's helped you become a better person and uh, become more valuable as a counselor and therapist. You mentioned that you were in the Marine Corps and I did notice uh, when I was on your Facebook page for your birthday this year, you had a fundraiser for the Wounded Warrior Project. I have volunteered there before and so that kind of uh, explains why you're involved there but share a little bit more about what their mission means to you. Well,
1: it's, it's my way of giving back to my uh, brothers in, in arms, uh, being able to still, uh, even though I'm not no longer in the Marine Corps, being able to provide that support because in the military, uh, uh, being able to have your brothers back, supporting them, uh, being there in the time of need, uh, is is it's it's a huge uh, it's a huge uh, thing for any military service member, and so you want to do as much as you can to support those organizations and, uh, and kind of let them know that they're, they're not forgotten,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: still, uh, they're still contributing and a valuable member of our society, uh, and especially at the times when they come back and, and they've lost a limb or, or they're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. This is when they need us the most.
0: Yep, I agree. I also volunteer at the uh, Veterans uh, Affairs Hospital locally here, and um, it's more difficult to do that now because of the COVID, so they're not allowing people in, but we would mm-hmm. go in all the time and help them with their annual picnic, and then we'd go in once or twice a month and help them with uh, some of their games, and, and you see it on their faces when they uh, uh, see other people coming in and, and just recognizing them and, and uh, um, you know, doing things with them. Um, um, we have to uh, never forget that they they have contributed and are still, in a lot of cases, contributing today. So I applaud you for helping out with that uh, Wounded Warrior project as well. So the next question is more for our listeners and our audience members and our our viewers. Um, uh, What kind of things did you consider when selecting a graduate school? And how did you decide on Doan College for both your BA and your MA?
1: Well, uh, when I... When I was looking at uh, colleges, the the more uh, I would say uh, the university that most attend in this area is the University of Nebraska Kearney. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to, I was looking for more of a private college, but one that had uh, had a, um, a reputation of academic excellence. Uh, and, and so, so does Carney. I mean, Kearney is an excellent uh, college, but Doan College was actually here in Grand Island. They have a satellite uh, college here, and their home, their main college is in Crete, and I actually went to the Crete uh, College uh, before I started my classes, just because I wanted to see what the campus looked like. And it was very regal, very ivory League looking. <laughs> but when I walked in and t- did the tour of the uh, college, uh, they we, you stop by and you see some of the, they take a lot of pride in their academic uh uh awards and those who've gone on to uh, like um uh, Fulbr- Fulbright uh scholarships. Uh, they had a few that went to uh, Oxford University, a Rhodes Scholar, there was a few that went, that were actually Rhodes Scholars. So, so that tells me there, where the emphasis is in that university. Uh, there was a professor uh, that, uh, Dr. Uh, Donald Belaw that uh, he was he taught in uh, our undergraduate, but he also taught the master's level. Uh, at, in Grand Island. And I had so much admiration for him and respect. Uh, he was just, he was just brilliant. And I wanted, I really did want to uh, study underneath him, which I did. So that was kind of, that was the kind of the driving force of my decision.
0: It sounds like you wanted more of a private. Uh, um... Experience college, private college experience, as well as it sounds like uh, this doctor in Grand Island was another reason why you wanted to study there because you wanted absolutely to, uh, work with him. So that kind of leads into my next one. Oh, I should get back. So when you talk about Crete, you're talking about the island of Crete? No. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Nebraska Crete, Nebraska is just uh, a few. I think it's like 20 miles from University of Nebraska Lincoln. Okay,
0: I just wanted Pretty to clarify. Huh? Yeah, I just, I just wanted to clarify because I, uh, I recently traveled, uh, over in Europe and stuff, and I actually went to the island of Crete, and I'm going, well, really, Don College was out there too, or you know, I just wanted to <laughs> clarify. I don't live out in Nebraska, so uh, uh, bear with me. <laughs> hey, that that does lead me to my next question. You already kind of answered it a little bit. Uh, I was going to ask you about some of your fondest experiences and memories while attending. Doan College and it sounds like some of them are, are studying under that professor that you looked up to. Anything else come to mind?
1: Yeah, there was a, yes, there was a, 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 another a professor that we, I studied under, Jerry Allen. Very, he was, he was very, I don't know, he was very open-minded very, and his work uh, studying underneath him, he challenged you. He, he, it wasn't a really just you read the book and he instructed you. He really challenged you to think for yourself, to come up with creative uh, thoughts. Uh, and uh, I enjoyed working with him as well. His experiences, he had been gone to theology school. He had gone to these different universities. He had studied in Sweden. And then uh, Netherlands. I mean, he had well. He was well rounded, and to listen to his experiences and how it applied to the, our field, you know, was I thought it was uh, invaluable. Uh, studying underneath him, so he was another one that I really enjoyed, and I enjoyed working uh, with the uh, students, all of the students that were there, because we are a small group. Uh, You might have uh, six, seven people in your class at any one time. There's up to even 20 people, which is not huge when you're looking at a major university. But the interaction, I learned as much, I think, listening to the professors as I did listening to uh, the students and their responses. Um, I actually had a, a, a student tell me that she was super smart. I mean, she was a 4.0 student. I mean, and she's just, she made a comment that I don't learn anything, you know? And I'm sitting there, I think, do you listen to everyone else's response? Because if you did, you, I said, that's where, you, you you know the material. It was obvious that she knew the material. But you also can learn from others and how their perspe- perspective was, you know? So that was, that was kind of, uh I enjoyed that as well. So,
0: Yeah. You mentioned that you went to the Netherlands and so uh, do you travel much internationally or have you? I didn't.
1: The, the I didn't. Uh, uh, Professor Jerry Allen did.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. My, he went uh, to the Netherlands
1: at a university at the Netherlands. Okay. And so and, that experience enhanced our learning experience. Yep,
0: yeah, definitely. And the reason that I was bringing that up is that would be another thing that you could tell your, um, um, Uh, student at that time is hey all these people from all over the world if they've traveled and even if they haven't traveled outside the united states Mm -hmm. we all we all know that southeast west north all have different cultures and and different expectations and and norms and so just their experiences from those different areas are going to come in as well and even if everybody's from nebraska everybody's still going to have a different experience and a different perspective so i like uh uh, pointing that out to the uh, student and letting her know, hey, you're, you're, you're book smart, but listen to what everybody else is, is right, contributing. Right. So, yeah. Um, I do have a, a follow-up question. Um, I mentioned earlier in the intro that you uh, have a, um, a master's degree and you go into uh, mental health counseling was was your focus. What advice would you give somebody who was interested in going down that route and and getting a master's degree in mental health counseling. Any advice that you'd have for them?
1: In in regard to the school
0: itself? How to select a school, what courses to take, uh, general advice now that you've gone through it. Any of that advice? I know a lot of uh, guests ask, hey, I need some advice on what criteria should I look at when I'm selecting a school? Well, that's an open-ended question, and it's a loaded question because it really depends on what you're going to school for and what you mm-hmm. want to get out of that. And so I'm leaving it kind of open to you. Any kind of advice that you might have for somebody who would be interested in, in the counseling uh, route?
1: When I when I was looking at a uh, a college or university to attend, I really looked at the... The faculty and their experiences were they academias, or did they have real life experience? You know, um, I looked at the uh, the emphasis that the university had as far as as far as their endowments, how much, what kind of. Uh, what kind of uh, financial support are they giving that particular department? Um, as far as after graduation, uh, one uh, oftentimes they'll tell you that you can, as soon as you graduate, you can practice, you can, and you can at least in Nebraska, you can go out in private practice. Uh, would I advise that? Because that's exactly what I did. No, I would not, uh, because because of your provisionally provisional uh, status and this is this is uh, I'm sure unique from state to state but in my particular experience, we were only being able to one you don't have any connections networking is huge. Uh, if, if you if you have the idea that I'm going to be a mental health practitioner, I'm going to have my own private practice and I, I'm not really interested in the entrepreneurship, uh, side, then go work for a, a established uh, uh, established facility or agency, because you got to wear two hats when you're in private practice. Uh, you you've got to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you've got to go out networking. You've got to know a little bit about advertising. But as a on the as I'm going back uh, on the provisional level. Get the experience. Get the three, four years of experience. Work underneath someone, um, and ask them about what is it. If I want to go into private practice, how do I do this? Because they don't teach you in that in the uh, at college. They don't teach you how to have a private practice. All the uh, all the uh, uh, responsibilities of the advertising and the networking and and how to how to bill for for your services. How much to bill you don't learn any of that, so get get your uh, feet wet in, in uh, an established agency or someone else's private practice ask lots of questions
0: uh,
1: and and after about after you get fully licensed and, and you 've got some experience uh, then go out and try to venture out on your own but before you you've got to know who you've got to do the networking you really do. Because that's where your referrals are coming from.
0: Right, so, right. Until you build up your established uh, practice and, and word gets out. Exactly. Reputation. Like a, yeah. yeah, the reputation. Now, you mentioned, you know, um, knowing how to network and building up your network, getting that experience. How long does it usually take to become a full-fledged? Um, is it based on hours or years or, or um, how does that work?
1: It really does depend on, uh, on hours, how many hours of, uh, of, of uh, clients that you have. Uh, there's certain things that you have to accomplish, how many hours, specific hours for your, like your assessments. You gotta do so many assessments. You've gotta have so many client hours. You've gotta have so many hours. If you're going to, uh, you can go from uh, provisional to a licensed independent mental health practitioner. But you gotta have uh, hours in the severe and persistent diagnosis. Uh, And not every client you see is gonna meet that criteria. So you have to have so many hours in that area. Uh, But uh, yeah, so it it depends on how many clients you're seeing and uh, how many hours you're putting in. So if you're working full time, and you see a full full load, which would be about 20 clients or more. Uh, it will take you about three years.
0: Okay. Well, that gives us a better idea of uh, what to expect. And the other thing that I think you were highlighting, not only networking, but almost surrounding yourself with what I would kind of refer as an ex- executive board. Those people that you can go to for advice on, hey, uh, career choices, how do I uh, – um, do A, B, and C. How do I improve on A, B, and C? Maybe having somebody as a sounding board. Maybe somebody talking about how to run this as a business, um, and surrounding yourself with all those people that uh, can give you some of their experiences and share that knowledge. Because you're exactly right. You're all gung ho. I'm ready to go, and then yeah. you realize it's not that easy. You have to bring in the clients and build your reputation and build that practice. So I I, I like that you're uh, highlighting that and surrounding yourself with those appropriate people to give you that chance and that advice is, is very good advice, thank you. I did see that you worked, you know, um, back in 2009, 2010, that you worked with the Friendship House in Pennsylvania. Tell me a little bit more about your role and experience there.
1: Yeah, that was uh, the Friendship House here in Grand Island.
0: Okay. That was it in Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, I, when I looked it up, it showed, do they have multiple locations? I, I don't know. Okay, my apologies. So tell us okay. about your experience there.
1: Well, I, <laughs> interesting experience. Uh, I actually started there in, uh, uh, I don't know how to put this delicately. I started actually in there in uh, 1994
0: uh, a, as a uh, resident. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so there's the and, relationship and you went back to it.
1: Yeah, I uh started there and so again one of the, it was one of those experiences where like when I left there I actually told the we had a uh house uh manager who had just gotten there and I told him that I I said it, it it will be a cold day in hell before I ever come back. <laughs> and so uh and so in 1994 I left. Uh and then in, uh, was it two thousand I guess it was 2013
0: yeah on your on your page, uh your LinkedIn page, it shows two thousand nine and two thousand ten for okay the French okay yep.
1: all right i was anyway, I went back to because I was doing my internship for my drug and alcohol license that's a completely different license from your mental health. I was still attending college then. But I had already completed all my requirements for a drug and alcohol counselor, uh, and so when I went back there, uh, actually the house manager was still there, and couldn't quite uh, couldn't quite place me. He knew he knew me when we introduced, <laughs> and the next day when I came back, he says, he goes. So, how cold is it outside?
0: (laughs) Right, exactly right.
1: He he actually (laughs) had a card on me with that quote. But the (laughs) experience there was phenomenal. We had, the the guy, uh, the uh, therapist that I worked under uh, was, he had actually the fourth license in drug and alcohol that was ever issued in the state of Nebraska, which is, that's, you know, it's he'd been in the field a long time, and he was a student of the uh, of drug and alcohol counseling. And he he was phenomenal. I I learned so much from him. He we had a client that was Native American, and he could he could relate to that client and and connect with him, and being able to integrate. The, the principles of uh, recovery into his native beliefs. It was just amazing because he was so well read. And uh, I would, as far as knowledge goes, although he only had an associate's degree, I would put him up with anybody with a doctorate's degree. He was just that knowledgeable. And to have an opportunity to work under him was, was just phenomenal. So that, I, I like that experience. I love the experience of coming back to where I had started so many years ago and being able to tell others that, you're, you know, uh, that was the whole purpose of me coming into the field was, you know, your life doesn't have to end here. Uh, life is only beginning, you know, and where you go is absolutely up to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Now. Uh, I, I'm not going to go through all of your steps uh, uh, that you have uh, on LinkedIn because you've been to multiple hospitals and you've been <laughs> to different recovery centers and worked there. And, and one of them that I did uh, uh, notice that kind of stuck out a little bit is I noticed that you work with, the, with intensive outpatient program clients while at your time at the Horizon Recovery Center. How was this experience different from any of your other previous experiences up until that point in your career? I had wor- I was working with juveniles at the time, and I had never worked with juveniles
1: the whole time that that I'd been uh, counseling and'm I'm, I'm, by this time I'm in my fifties, uh, and so I was a little intimidated because I didn't feel that uh it's been a long time since I was a teenager <laughs> and wasn't sure whether I can connect, and that's huge with when you're counseling. You have to make that be able to make that connection, and being able to relate to your client, and and I wasn't sure how they would perceive me as you know being this old guy. Hey, he doesn't know what's going on. You know, he you know he's he's old. Uh, times are different now, and so when I started working with them, I realized that I wasn't that far away from from remembering what it was like at their age. And I was able to connect with them. I, when I took over the IOP uh, for the juveniles, uh, it was very instructive. It was more of another, they, came, they would come for three hours a day, three days a week after school. Uh, and so, and then they would come in and the way it was structured, it was, more, it was like another class. Course you have information that you have to get uh to them and so when I I asked if I could have free reigns of this they said absolutely do what you want with it and so I made it more interactive I made it fun I made it uh I made it uh those who wanted to challenge you because when you get teenagers you're gonna I'm not doing this I don't need to do this you know you can't tell me anything that I don't already know and so I would say I would get, okay, well then you tell me, tell me how, you know, what, what, what it is that, what it's like for you, you know, and it was, it really was interactive and they enjoyed it. Uh, it wasn't like a classroom, and I think when they feel that they're being heard and that they have something to say, you've got their attention. Uh, they asked me about my personal experiences, and because I had experienced some of the th- same things that they had uh uh as far as the addiction goes and the usage uh they realized wow this guy really knows what he's talking about because he's been there himself you know and so it was I I loved it I loved, I still talk to some of some of these uh the kids that I talked to back then uh they're grown adults with kids and I still keep in contact with them so yeah
0: well, good. That's always nice to hear. I, I was a teacher for a number of years and and uh, I still kept in touch with some of the students even after. Uh, and uh, it goes to show you that they have respect for you and they, they uh, actually looked up to you and, and value your, your opinion as well. Um, I know we have, uh, you have a little bit of time left here, so I'm kind of narrowing down my questions for you. One that I do want to ask for our audience is you also worked at a couple places as a dual diagnosis outpatient counselor or therapist. Can you explain what that means for our audience? Dual diagnosis therapist is someone who is just simply someone who
1: has, uh, a, a master's degree in mental health and, and uh, the, uh, and you have a license in uh, drug and alcohol counseling as well. Mm-hmm. Practice you could practice to be a drug and alcohol counselor without getting your master's degree, uh, but uh, today it that's getting kind of phased out because it's a credentially oriented society and insurance reimbursements want the ma- people with master's degree. Although there's still many out there that didn't go that far, but uh, uh, it's certainly, I would advise any student that if you want to work with drug and alcohol, be a drug and alcohol counselor, take that extra step and get your master's degree.
0: So based on my experience, um, kind of the dual diagnosis comes into play when you have a mental health condition that you're treating as well as maybe an addiction or something else, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and those are the dual part of that dual right. diagnosis. Right. Yeah.
1: And, and really, uh, the, the duality of, of that, uh, and I'm going to probably reiterate what you just said, but uh, if, if you're treating somebody with addiction, any type of addiction, there's always going to be an underlying issue that, that is the foundation of that addiction. Oftentimes, people, are like, why are you here? Uh, I, I, I'm a drug and alcohol, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. Actually, that's, and, and most people say that, and, but, uh, actually that's a symptom of a much deeper rooted problem. There's a, there's something in that foundation that has, that has created the condition where you need, you feel that you need to self-medicate, you know, and so that's why you really do want that, uh, that master's degree in mental health, in order to be able to get down to what is the core core, uh, 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 core foundation of that addiction.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And so I kind of view it as a symptom or a man, it manifests itself in that way, that addictive uh, um, um, that you're, you're treating. Now, for those um, listening and, and watching, there are a number of resources out there. But what I found, Tom, was a lot of these websites estimate anywhere from 20 percent up to 80 or 90 percent of the clients that come in may have dual you know um, uh, symptoms that you have to treat. And it, it's becoming more rare that you just treat one you know diagnosis. there's something else that usually contributes to or has caused. That, that second one. So it's interesting to uh, uh, focus on it as a dual diagnosis instead of just that singular. Of course, you have some of the simple ones that come in and you, you know, help them through some short periods of their life. But uh, I, I'm, I like the way that you had put it, that uh, um, it's a symptom and you help them realize why they're doing that that behavior and then hopefully correct that at, at its source. Um, I have a couple more questions. One of them that really stood out to me was, uh, many of our listeners and viewers may not know that you have served on the board of the Aftercare and Action Organization since 2012. Would you mind sharing a little more about that organization, what they do and what your role is?
1: Well, that, that's a uh, organization that helps the transition of people from uh, that are coming out of uh, the prisons, uh, being able to help them uh, find resources, or, uh, to reintegrate back into society, uh, being able to uh, help them uh, with a, to, to, uh, provide them with some type of foundation assistance in order to reduce the recidivism rate of them returning. Oftentimes when they are released, they're not giving enough resources or not uh, our, uh, information regarding the resources. Uh, which creates some stress, anxiety, depression, and so many of them went in there with addic- with addictive issues, uh, and so what happens is when they're starting to feel these symptoms of sense of desperation because they don't know where, where to go and what to do and how to reintegrate back into society, uh, they go back to what they know best, you know. Uh, and they start using again, and that's where that's where the racism rate begins. You know, where the they'll just go back to their old lifestyle, and so they they need help reintegrating and and learning new skills. You know, and so that's kind of what that organization is all about.
0: Okay, it sounds like a great organization to help them basically get acclimated and get ready for uh, a release, um, so it's not as traumatic as it as it possibly could be. Um, I, I know that you have a new website, and uh, I believe um, are you still working as a therapist at Richard Young Hospital as well as Alfrey and Flores Counseling? Are you doing both? Or- no, no, I oh, I, okay. I was required to.
1: I I left there for. Uh, uh, personal reasons, and let me tell you what that was. I had already told you the story about my son getting killed, and then me and my wife, uh, who i would known since she was 14, um, uh, we got married, and we were young, and we got divorced, and, but we stayed friends for those, I'm telling your audience, we stayed really good friends for those 34 years, and of course, we had a daughter that we were raising together. I went to go after, I went to go work at Richard Young and I knew she was nur- a nurse there and they had, were worried that because we were ex-wives and husbands and would we be okay? We're, and we, yeah, we'll be fine. We're still friends. You know, she's like family, you know, long and the short of the story is uh, we end up getting back together and, and now we're, she's my wife.
0: <laughs> oh really? So, so you're back together now. How long have you guys been back together?
1: We got married last December, but we've been uh, together for four years now. Okay. And, you know, the, the thing is that uh, that was one of the uh, messages I, I wanted to share is that you just don't know where life's going to take you. And when I had gone through my tragedy uh, of my loss of my family and my son, that I had become suicidal as well and And I work a lot with people who are just that, and you just don't know what you what what uh journey you're going to take, why you're experiencing these things and and what what's left for tom- you know what's what's to for tomorrow you know and like me and my wife say it's like you know who knew that this is where we'd end up you know back together so so yeah, I don't anyway.
0: Well, that's a good story. That's a good story to share. I have a a couple fun questions that I ask all of my guests here. And uh, uh, one of them is, what is your favorite term, principle, or theory related to your field and why?
1: What's my favorite term, principle? Term,
0: principle, or theory. Yep.
1: You know what? I like working with the dialectical behavioral therapy because it not only, not only, uh, Helps you. It's I don't I don't know if your audience is familiar with dialectical behavior therapy. It was founded by uh, Marsha Linehan to work with uh, uh, borderline personality disorders. But what I in, what I like about that uh, uh, theory is the fact that it, it not it helps you regulate the mood. It helps you find out where is where is the foundation of this of this uh, emotion. And then, what do I do with it, and how do I manage it? You know, oftentimes in, in different fields, uh, areas, and it's it's something that you you have to you have to dig deep and look and find the answers, and and that's what therapy is all about. Uh, the therapist doesn't. I always tell my clients that uh, I, I don't I don't do nothing for you. I don't. I'm there to help facilitate your recovery i don't take I don't take blame for uh your disorder. I don't take credit for your recovery. but what I do do is provide you with it with the tools uh necessary in order for you to find a new path and to how to stay on it. The best therapist i think uh doesn't they don't have their clients come back with the same disorder again. Because they have already been given the tools on how and how to uh, solve their uh, with a solution. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Yeah, and and I actually had that as one of my questions. So I'm glad that you brought up the DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, as well. But uh, I know we only have a few more minutes. I'm trying to be aware of your time. Okay. Um, but I I do have one other question that I'd like to ask you, and and uh, it is kind of an overall question for you. What's the most important thing you've learned in your life?
1: Being, uh, I would say being true to who you truly are, being genuine to yourself. I would say that.
0: Okay. Well, that's a good question. I'd be amiss, uh, remiss if I uh, didn't, uh, I'm going to share my screen real quick and I'm going to show everybody the, uh, uh, the website that you guys uh, have up and running for um, for Alfrey and Flores Counseling, and it's a, a nice, straightforward website. Um, and um, I know that you guys are focused on um, different therapy, depression, anxiety, and addictions, trauma, relationships. Anything else that you'd like to share with us regarding the Alfrey and Flores Counseling?
1: Uh, no, the, the website pretty much covers, uh, what we do. Uh, we try to be uh, multifaceted and, and many of these, uh, things that we work on when we're talking to addiction, this is what fascinated me about the field. Is it's so multifaceted that if, when you say I'm going in, I'm going to specialize in relationships, well, you, you have to have some background in all these other disciplines as well in order to be of service to your client because life isn't isn't in a bubble. You know, we don't just have relationship issues. Oftentimes those relationship issues turn around because there's an addiction or because we, we have difficulty with communication. Uh, I do a lot of couples therapy and nine times out of 10, it comes down to communication. You know, not being able to uh, effectively communicate how we feel or, or our thoughts, you know, and so we work a lot on those areas too. But yeah, so I mean, our our uh, organization again, uh, the clinicians that we have uh, are uh, highly experienced, and we're and I'm, we're just excited to be here each day.
0: Well, good, good to hear. I know that. Um... Yeah. I, I have to ask this because I, I, I have to get this in before we uh, uh, sign off here. Um, what do your children think of you being a counselor and has that impacted your parenting skills and do they think, oh my gosh, you have the advantage, dad, you're a counselor and, or do they see it as a burden or what's the reaction of your, your kids uh, knowing that you're a, a counselor and you can help them that way or do you kind of take off that hat as a, as a dad Tell me a little
1: bit. more. Yeah. I, uh, it's like, I tell my clients, I can tell you I can, cause I, cause I do get the juveniles. They come in with, uh, with behavioral issues and I'm, I'm, I integrate. I have the family members come in, uh, because it, again, if your son or your child has a problem, you know, then it's a family problem. Right. And so, given them it, uh direction and suggestions and this and that and they always, can you follow is that what you do um no i tell them not to yell at your children because you're building barriers and yet i go go home and sometimes i forget <laughs> so i'm like well yeah i'm working on it but as far as my kids go yeah they don't they don't listen to me <laughs> <laughs> they they're, they're good it and actually it, it, it's it's just that like, oh dad you're not the counselor you know you're not counseling me uh, I know
0: <laughs> right um is there anything else that you'd want to bring up during this uh podcast before we let you go anything else that uh, I haven't covered that you'd want to bring No,
1: up? I just want to uh tell you I, I appreciate you allowing me this opportunity to speak with your audience and uh again uh you got, if you're going into this field i was once told by a uh professor uh that was giving giving a uh seminar that this keep this in mind this is not, if you're looking for a vocation get in a different field this is an advocation. now this is a lifelong learning experience and that uh it's not it's not a job you know and so, and that's, and you got to be passionate about what you're doing is you put in some long hours, but I mean, for me, it's, it's not like I'm working at all. I love what I do.
0: Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we definitely have benefited from your uh, experience and your advice. Uh, thank you. I, I'm trying to keep, uh, keep you on schedule here. So again, thank you for being on our podcast uh, stay in touch. And, um, if there's anything else that you need from me or the website, uh, we'll go ahead and, and post some of the, uh, uh, information that I referred to both of your, uh, um, you know, your LinkedIn page, your psychology today, both of those one for you and one for Alfrey, And then of course, we'll include your, uh, um, website for Alfrey and Flores counseling as well. Once again, Tom, I appreciate you, uh, being on the show and we thank you for, uh, uh Uh, sharing some of your experiences and advice.
1: All right. Thank you again.
0: All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Psychology podcast. If you want to learn more about our guests or listen to other podcasts, you can visit our website, mastersinpsychology.com, where you can search through all of the schools in the United States that offer advanced degrees in psychology. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, or share.